Welcome back, everybody, to the Be Better podcast. We are Solamente with just me, Coach Chris. Uh, Coach Gabby and uh, and Devin are no longer uh, in the offices right now. They are checked out and doing different things. Devin's probably um, pretending to be a dad or a real estate agent somewhere, and Gabby's being uh, an awesome uh, Neo Pro somewhere as well, training or doing something. Uh, so I decided to reach deep into my bag of tricks to bring somebody onto the show that I have known for quite a long time. I'm proud to say he's one of my mentors, and we have done um, some really fun things together, which hopefully we can talk about here. Uh, I'd like to welcome to the show Coach Justin Trelay. Justin, welcome to the Be Better Podcast. Hey, thanks, Chris. It's nice to be here. Yeah, well, you know, so you're uh, you're calling us from uh, from your house, and that's in uh, that's in Boulder, correct? No, no, I'm in Colorado Springs. So um, I'm based. Um, so when I first moved to the states, I actually um, worked out of the Olympic Training Center for the first three years. So my my home base was here in Colorado Springs, and I've I've literally stayed stayed put ever since, and, and sort of set up my uh, my my corner of the world uh, down here. And I, I like it. Colorado Springs is great. Well, I've failed right off the bat by just saying you're in the wrong wrong city, so I'll... Uh, That's I'll... okay. At least you didn't get my my wrong country of origin. Oh, that's true. I didn't call you I didn't call you an Aussie, right? Uh, so exactly. If, so, so for those of you that have ever uh, taken uh, one of Justin's classes, worked with him, seen one of his billion lectures, uh, had the just the, the the I would say the um, the luxury or the experience to be with him, uh, you know he's got a really deep, thick accent. And most times, I've seen people try and figure out what it is. Um, Justin's from uh, he's a Kiwi, so uh, from New Zealand, and uh, not to be. Not to be confused with Australia, is that correct? That is, that is correct, and it's not that there's anything wrong with Australia; it's just full of Australians. <laughs> oh man! It, 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 so, is it one of the largest put downs or insults that you can call somebody from New Zealand just to say they're from Australia? No, it's funny. No, it's not, and it's kind of tongue in cheek these days. Like, I mean, we when we're at home, we we're like. They are our greatest adversary when it comes to anything that's sporting related. But when it's not sporting related, they are our, our closest ally. Like, I mean, New Zealand and Australia are, are very close, both culturally and and as far as people go. I mean, we've fought in all wars together, et cetera, et cetera. And, I mean, as, as people, like New Zealanders and Australians are very close. Like, you go anywhere in the world, you can guarantee the New Zealanders and the Australians are hanging out together. Um, but when we're at home, we like to we like to constantly rub each other and, and uh, give each other grief about different things. And uh, <laughs> so certainly, I, I wouldn't class it as an insult, even though we like to uh, throw it throw it around like it is one. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> well, for those of you who have who don't know who Justin is, uh, a little bit of background: Justin is um, he is currently the president and CEO of Vanguard Endurance. He's also the president of Outcast Endurance. And he is uh, currently the the lead coach uh, at Pikes Peak. Um, it's Pike Pe- Pikes Peak. F- uh, speak athletics, athletics yep. yes, uh, multi-sport. Yep, exactly. And uh, and and so, and I'm reading all this off of your uh, off of your LinkedIn, Justin. And I'm noticing your, oh, your your photo is way outdated. By the way. Um, no, it just makes me look younger. <laughs> it does look good though on you, and so and in reading this, so so Justin is, has coached uh, numerous uh, numerous pro athletes, elite athletes, ITU athletes, junior athletes. If if someone's done well, some at some point in time, Justin has had touch points with them uh, in one one form or fashion. Um, but Justin, in your bio and your about, you list yourself as a visionary. That's a pretty bold statement. That's probably because my daughter wrote my bio. She did. <laughs> oh wow, that's that's so awesome. It's, it, it's it's funny. Like I, I I am notoriously bad, and anyone that knows me will realize I, 
writing is my is my my pet peeve. I, I I like to avoid writing as much as possible. I would much rather speak or video or anything outside of writing. So yes, I get my daughter to write, write a lot of my bios for me, and 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 she has some creative license every now and again. I probably should read through them. Hey, they're pretty. It's, I mean, it's pretty good. You're, I, I thought that was a pretty bold statement, and I was wondering how how that would actually you know translate into endurance sports. But you know, in knowing you, I think it does actually fit because you know, thinking back to I think the first time that you and I like met or worked together was when you were the, uh, the athlete development manager over at the OTC for USA Triathlon, mm-hmm. and that was be, that was and I and I I came out and spent a spent some time over a summer with you. At the OTC, and I think that was probably what 2008, 2009, somewhere in there. Yeah, so it would have been through that time period because I was employed there through uh, from late in 2007 through the start of 2010. Yeah, and that was uh, it was kind of fun because there was a lot of people that had come through during that time, and athletes that you know that have since uh, we we've kind of watched go like uh, uh, like Greg Billington. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I thought was, uh, that was a, that was a fun one. Um, I always remember what the nickname the kids gave him when we were there that they called him the future. And I always thought, <laughs> wow, right. that was, yep. that's a, that's a, that's yeah. a, that's a, that's a tall name to own. I was going uh, to say, who, who needs friends when you, uh, enemy, or who needs enemies when you got friends like that? But, uh, I certainly, know. yeah, no, the, the guys, the guys used to like to give, give Greg plenty, plenty of grief. And then the thing is, the, the the grief over the uh, the nickname the future was was tongue in cheek initially, but it, I mean he has he had and has a lot of ability. Like I mean he's just one of those athletes that comes along every now and again with just an unbelievable talent. I mean um, and certainly at, at a young age, like 17, 18, when I started working with him, um, he was he was already very very good and had a lot of ability, particularly in running and, and certainly a background in swimming. And so yeah, it was. It, it was probably a well-earned title, and he's a smart kid too, wasn't he? Didn't he go to Stanford? He, no, he went to Wake Forest on an academic scholarship. Okay, I thought he was at Stanford. I, I knew he was, but I knew he was. Um, um, he was a smart kid. It wasn't just like a dumb jock scenario that he had. No, no, no. He was. He was. He was very talented. And, yeah. and in all all areas, and still is, by the way. Not not that we're talking in past tense about that, you yes. know. Um, and then uh, Kevin Collington, I think, was the other one that kind of uh, that always stuck with me. Um, mainly mm-hmm. because he had just won the collegiate national championships. I think it was in Tuscaloosa, or maybe it was in Buffalo Springs that the, the year that he won. Um, and they had the giant poster of him in the uh, in the office, and he was like, "Hey, mm-hmm. look at that big giant poster of you right there! It's actually bigger than you are." He, he used to come in on that every time he'd walk in the door. I'm, I'm not sure if he actually kept the poster once we were once we were getting rid of them, but I wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> it's probably on the back of his door. <laughs> <laughs> I, I watched him. He did a. Uh, he, I think he kind of lived with uh, Dionuar, uh, the owner of Ventum Cycling, or, uh, for like a couple weeks, and they did some like ridiculous amount of training together. And Dio was mm-hmm. trying to relive his uh, his younger days, and I'm like oh, he, you know it was kind of the same old Kevin, just you know chugging 100 miles an hour and. And uh, not stopping, and just a, a neat kid too. I thought. Yeah, and, and we were lucky. I mean, when I first moved to the states, we we had a fantastic group um, at the Olympic Training Center. I think we had 13, 13 pro athletes there at the time, um, and a fairly strong resident program with Sarah Haskins and, and Nate Quarton was there at the time, and we had just a whole like uh, jump and how, and there was a great group, um, and they were training together all the time, and it was it was just a it was a good time for USA Try. 
um, from a from a regional sort of standpoint in Colorado Springs, and and we're still in good position with with our, our teams nationally. They just tend to be a little bit more sparse, and, and certainly we've gone to models of coaching that are a little bit less a uh, little less centralised as far as big teams go and gone to something that's a little bit more decentralised. It's more athlete-focused, coach-driven uh, models, which we see in international countries. But, I mean, yeah, it was, a, it was a good time to be here in the States. And certainly um, for the time I worked at the Olympic Training Centre, I really enjoyed uh, my time there. Were those the salad yeah. days? Were those like the days when it was like everything was good? You could walk in and crush as many lattes as you wanted to in the in the calf and... Yeah, it was actually the the food was fantastic, and and it's still like that too. I mean, the OTC is a, is a fantastic training facility. Um, it's been a little little hard, certainly with with COVID with everything being locked down, because I certainly have a couple of athletes who still have access at the Olympic Training Centre, and and is, as far as the training facility, it, it is really uh, a wonderful facility. Um, but certainly, as far as like with COVID, it, it was it was very difficult. They had uh, fairly tight protocols this year uh, or last year as well. Um, with getting on and off campus, and so um, that that made things difficult for for a lot of athletes. But certainly, um, it, it's a great it's a great facility. Yeah, I, I miss being there. I I really enjoyed going back and and like doing doing level twos and teaching and being part of some para camps that we had there. Um, it's yeah. it's super expiring. I mean, I'm, I always it, get... it is. I was going to say that's the one thing you you feel when you walk on campus, particularly for the first time or the first couple of times you walk in. It's it's very inspiring. It's like oh, I'm at the Olympic Training Center and it's got so much history and so much background behind it. Yeah, oh, it's hard. Not, it's hard not to feel that vibe. I know, and then you can kind of get to see some of the little things. Like I remember the first time I, I realized that the uh, when they have the statues outside, that the that the discus thrower. If you look across the across the patio, the disc the discus or disc guy or whatever they're called, the mm-hmm. discs, they're actually stuck in the side of the building as if the guy threw mm-hmm. them and they stuck there. I was like, oh, that is super cool. I don't know if anybody sees that, um, but it's been fun to see how it's changed, how it's updated. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the strength training facility is like so much nicer than it used to be. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's, a, that's a big piece that I, I've really enjoyed, um, watching kind of change and, and, and update, especially, you know, in, in triathlon, we had the, it, it was kind of like we were in a closet, um, for a while, you know, where we were kind of like a, a mm-hmm. the small little office under the pool. And, and now we have a, you know, a, our different space, which I think is probably more apt to, you know, for training and for athletes. And it's, it's definitely one of the places that I really look forward to going to and definitely miss. Yeah, I always found the office was, was the office was great. I mean, I didn't mind being under the pool. The irony was, was it was always funny because we would have the synchronized swimmers would come in for um, training. And because my office wall was literally the wall of the pool, but just like whatever number of inches of concrete difference between us and the pool, um, I could, you could hear the music, and of course, when you're doing synchronized <laughs> swimming, it's overly repetitious, and so you'd have, like, I think at one point we had um, Lady Gaga, and it was like a, this 30-second loop of Lady Gaga going nonstop all day oh. long, and it's like, I, trying not to lose your mind while there was like this metronome going tick, 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 tick. As oh, it was, my gosh. It was, 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 was tough. I think I, I spent quite a bit of time working in the cafeteria, but... Um, it is. It's it's a it's a it's a great place, and I think part of the thing that makes it so so unique, particularly here within the U.S., which is I mean we see it in New Zealand and other countries where we see a lot of collaboration between sports. You don't necessarily see a lot of collaboration between sports here in the U.S. outside of the Olympic Training Centre, whereas the Olympic Training Centre is very much all the sports. There's 30, I think 13, uh, or there used to be 13 resident sports. Um, 
they used to all basically um, be together um, in the same area. So you'd see the volleyballers and the wrestlers and the weightlifters, and it was just really good to actually talk to different coaches and talk to different athletes and, and get a feel. I mean, some things were very very much the same. Other things were very different between the different groups. Um, but it was it was very unique in that regard. Yeah, and, and you saw, I'm sure, a number of different countries of our athletes come through that representing different countries, mm-hmm. too. I remember you'd see them, especially as you got closer to the, closer to the games and people were utilizing the facilities. Um, it was neat to see, like, you know, like German wrestlers or, you know, Polish uh, shot putters or whatever coming through yep. and coming over. And, and just you, you really got that vibe that it was like, wow, this is this is what you what people read about. It was, and I think that's really important, and, and it's important from the athlete's standpoint too, because it's nice to have other athletes from other countries because um, it's you get to see the sport from a from a different cultural perspective and how they see the sport and how they train, and certainly, I mean, how New Zealanders see triathlon or how Americans see triathlon is quite different, um, and certainly within other other um, sports, very much the same. I mean, how they treat the sports is very different. Like certainly for um, the US, I mean triathlon takes a very secondary like a very um we're fairly far down the list on most popular sports in the u.s but when i came to the states it was just after new zealand had won the gold and silver medal for triathlon in in um, athens and because of that new zealand was basically triathlon was at the forefront of our of our sporting list i mean yes we still had rugby at the top and netball and usual top end team sports but new zealand for triathlon we were very much up in that sort of four, five, six sort of range as far as popular sports. Um, and that we saw a huge explosion in the sport as far as growth and, and popularity. And everyone knew what triathlon was and, and what we dis- what distances we raced. And so it was, and you come to the States and it's, it's much more, very much about Ironman and what people know if you talk about triathlon is just Ironman. They don't understand the IQ side of things or the Olympic side of things. But um, yeah, you can definitely, when you get athletes together, you can definitely feel that, that sort of cultural difference between them as far as how the sport sort of imprints on each of them. Oh, yeah. And, and so, you know, first of all, you referenced a sport, netball. Um, give people yeah. who don't know what netball is uh, an idea of what that is. So imagine uh, basketball without a backboard and very small, very small nets. Um, and essentially, for the most part, it used to always be played by women. I mean, we're starting to see a few men's teams and stuff like that, but it was always primarily women's sport. Um, and it's very popular in the Commonwealth. So the um, British teams play it, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa. I mean, you see all the, all the Commonwealth countries playing it. Um, the irony about that is the fact that all of the Commonwealth countries play it, and we like it, and it's, it's probably our number one female sport in New Zealand. The irony is, is the fact that it was actually invented by Americans. What? And, so, um, and yet it never took off here, but it took off elsewhere in the world. So, yeah, interesting, interesting fun fact. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, it's the it's the st- the side of basketball that never made it. Exactly. Yeah, it, it is very much basically basketball without without the backboards and with smaller nets, and uh, you can't you can't dribble it. You have to pass it. Um, but it is a super dynamic game. Like I mean, it moves at pace, and the people who play it are unbelievably skillful. Yeah, and, and I'd say to, to to parallel it, it would be like the bandy of hockey, uh, like how bandy is for hockey. You know, it, like bandy mm-hmm. is kind of like field hockey, but on ice, uh, larger rink, using a ball, rounded sticks. That's kind of mm-hmm. the, it's like it's similar, but not the same. Well, and that's the thing in New Zealand. We play field hockey. We, we don't play um, ice hockey. So, um, and you see that that 
throughout the Commonwealth as well. So Australia and those countries are, are big onto uh, field hockey, where they, you don't see teams of, of Australians or New Zealanders or uh, in playing playing ice hockey. So it is. It's it's kind of interesting how um, different different sports are being played in different ways. And certainly, it's interesting here in the US where our biggest sports are not sports that are particularly popular anywhere else in the world or haven't really grown. I mean, sure, basketball plays a lot through Europe and things like that. But you compare that to something like American football, which is literally just American. Exactly. Um, and, and baseball is something that one, and there's a few countries around the world that play it, but it's not something that really took off anywhere else in the world. And so it's kind of interesting that, that we have it um, in that way, whereas a lot of the other sports, like certainly for things like us with rugby or even now with like um, soccer and things like that, those sports are, are world international sports where they're played by hundreds of countries and, and certainly um, you, you do see um, that, that difference in the, at the sports that we like here in the U.S., versus the sports that are very popular overseas. Yeah. As you've you've moved or or spent more time in the States, is there a sport that you kind of gravitated to that you didn't watch or participate in or or enjoy before that you do now? Um, It's it's funny. Like, I mean, I I find with triathlon, because I've been doing this for so long, so this is my – how old am I now? I'm trying to think. Okay, so this is my 27th year of coaching. So you're 75? Uh, Twenty-seven. I am not seventy-five. I just started early. Thanks, Chris. Now, I, I, my, my kids love to give me grief about my age, so, but no, it, it is. It's funny. Like so, I've been coaching um, twenty-seven years now. About twenty-one, twenty-two of those years, I've been working with pro athletes. But when you've been doing it that long, you're always looking for variations within the sports you coach to make things interesting. So I've gone through periods where I coached a lot of experienced athletes with a lot of mountain biking and off-road running. Um, I've coached ultra-distance runners, I've coached pure cyclists, I've coached pure mountain bikers and gravel cyclists, and, and so you tend to gravitate within different sports um, just because it keeps things fresh, keeps things interesting, and also I find you learn a lot as a coach um, and become better by, by investing yourself in other sports and, and sort of following where your passions are. And so, I mean, for me, I, I would say the sport that I think is, is growing fastest and has been most interesting um, over the last probably four or five years has been gravel cycling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we see a lot of gravel cycling. We see a lot of gravel cycling events. And I kind of like the fact that, um, and I used to say the same thing about Xterra, it's, it's very much that family atmosphere, that relaxed Thing. You rock up, you don't have to have fancy equipment, you just have to go from point A to point B, and you have a lot of fun along the way, and the first thing they hand you when you cross the finish line is a beer. Um, and I think that's something that, to a certain degree, in a lot of our um, tri-side of racing, we've kind of lost. We've become very much that A-type personality, have to win, have to focus on doing the very best, etc. And we've lost track of some of the fun that goes along with it. Now, there's, there's always going to be room at the top for people who, are, who want to win and want to do great. But I think we have to be careful not to lose sight of what triathlon initially was or what it was designed to be, which was basically fun and fun for all that were involved. And if we do that, then we're, we're always heading in the right direction. But I think certainly for me, um, things like gravel cycling and exterior and mountain biking, um, have because they're smaller sports, um, are very... I still still have a lot of that that sort of family sort of relaxed atmosphere, and I think for me that's part of the reason why me personally I'm I'm drawn to them because it reminds me more of home, reminds me more of how triathlon was when I was growing up, um, and so yeah I, I gravitate towards those. But certainly I think um, 
for me, I wouldn't say there's any real team sports that I follow, but certainly I do follow a lot of individual sports and in, 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 in lots of varieties of individual sport. That's, a, you know, so interesting enough, I, you know, I um, participating in cyclocross kind of for the same reasons, right? Mm-hmm. And I was, uh, it, you know, looking for something that it was just different, um, maybe a little bit shorter, and just the pressure was off. And, I, and we're, you know, that had, a, I would say, a, a more fun atmosphere. And I think yep. for me, uh, cyclocross was that because it was, well, first of all, it's hyperdynamic. It's like super hard. Um, you get muddy. Uh, crashing doesn't hurt as much, <laughs> um, yep. but it is that same for the same reasons. It's a, it's a, it's a fun atmosphere. We, you know, uh, my friends and I would, you know, could ride to races here in the twin cities, you know, could ride to a race, race at night, uh, for, you know, sign up for 10 bucks and, and then, you know, go home and, you know, you didn't get anything. You didn't get like a medal or a t-shirt or anything, but you know, you got like somebody always brought beer and it was, mm-hmm. you, 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 you found, enjoyment, pure enjoyment in the sport that wasn't based off of, you know, did I get first or, you know, am I going pro? And I, I remember like one night when, when Gwen and Pat were, uh, Jorgensen and, and Lemieux were, were, came up to, and I watched Gwen pass me like twice in a race, like just, just <laughs> incredibly. I'm like, Oh my God, like she's just wicked strong at that point in time. And then there was, you know, the year before, before Rio. And I realized, you know, just like, you kind of put into reality how strong somebody is that you, that you kind of watch from afar. Um, but again, that's that level of, of, of competition and I don't know, maybe just the, the more relaxed piece of it. That's not, you know, so strict because triathlon is, you know, if you think about it, there's so much that has to be done. Like we have to register beforehand. It's a, it's, it's quite a bit of money. It's early in the morning. There's a and ton. And you're registering like 12 months in advance for a lot of races. It's just, it's, oh, yeah. it's a lot of that stuff. It's kind of, kind of crazy. Yeah. And, and there's, there's, there's so much equipment and there's a, there's a lot to it. And, and granted, those are all cool things about it, right? Those are things that, you know, that I, I also love about it, but, um, but there's, it's, it's hard to just kind of like, you don't walk off and do a triathlon like you used to, like when they first were out, you could, you know, roll up and register day of or whatever and do mm-hmm. a, do a short one. Um, but not anymore. And then, and, and I think, you know, I, I probably the, the legality of it and the, uh, the, the cost of executing one that probably prevents that from happening. Um, but there's, there's something to the ability just to, to kind of go up and sign up and, and have fun and, 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 you know, not have to feel like there's all this pressure on, on you to do it. I, I agree. I think that there's certainly a lot of that involved. And, and it's funny, like when you're talking about you doing this hyper cross and, and, and it's, it's interesting just how, as coaches, um, and certainly as performance coaches, we tend to drive the sport in strange directions. And what I say, what I mean by that is essentially, I won't traditionally do a race if I've got athletes racing. So I won't. So for me, I've, I've traditionally got athletes racing in a lot of races. So for me, trying to do triathlon um, when I grew up as a triathlete doesn't make a lot of sense because I I, I feel like I'm drawing away from them. I go to a race and, and I, I try and race while they're racing. So I try to coach when I'm able to do that. So for me, if I want to be competitive, I, I want to picking sports that are, are different, but close. So I have a skill set in swim, bike, and run, so why not do some exteriors? So I wind up going and doing some exteriors, but because my passion then suddenly for my, myself personally becomes doing some exteriors, I then wind up with a whole lot of athletes who I'm coaching who are doing exteriors. <laughs> and so suddenly I'm back to square one where it's like, I've got athletes racing, so I don't want to race. So now I'm looking for something else. Okay, I'll go into gravel riding. So... <laughs> but we start doing gravel riding. Next thing I've got, 
half a dozen gravel rides. Okay, now I'm going to have to find a different sport. But you do. You tend to drive um, your athletes based on your own passion or pick up athletes based on your own passion into sports that are maybe a little different than what you did. And so you start going those full circles. I'm sure at some point if I wind up with a whole lot of athletes who are triathletes, I'll go back to triathlon again. But um, it's just it's, it's kind of interesting how it, how it evolves, particularly over time and over long periods of time. Yeah, and, and well, so so don't start playing high lie or cricket, because then you know that kind of takes you <laughs> out. I of... love cricket. I mean, it, 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 admittedly, admittedly, when you're watching chess cricket, it's like watching paint dry. I mean, there's quite possibly no no more boring sport in the world. That's literally five days where forty percent of the time it ends in a draw. Um, but certainly, um, yeah, I mean. I, I grew up playing some cricket stuff, but I, I always gravitated away from team sports. Like once I had about 17, 18, I just found that I was less frustrated doing individual sports than what I found myself doing team sports. Because I think what, what I always found frustrating with team sports is the fact that you could have your very best game and lose. Yes, um, or you could have your very best game and or very worst game and win. And yep. it was like, I felt like I wasn't getting feedback based on the work that I put in or time that I put in. And then there was always there's some politics. As, okay, we're going to put this person in because we think they're better than you. Well, it's like, well, I feel yeah. like I'm better than them, but that doesn't seem... So I, for me, it was like, okay, once the gun goes, um, it's so much easier just to, to uh, focus on an individual sport because you get back exactly what you put in. Yeah, I feel um, that with hockey. Control. I feel that with hockey. You know, it's like, because I, I play called, in Minnesota, we call beer league hockey, which is essentially playing hockey once everybody's gone to bed and you drink beer in the parking lot afterwards. Um, <laughs> but it's the same thing. I, I find myself almost yelling at the guys on my team to like, you know, keep skating, back check, pass the puck. You know, I find like I'm almost coaching them and I really have to pull back not to go, okay, you need to do this and you need to do that. Like, no, no, we're all here together. And then uh, it's, yeah, you, you you just feel like, oh man, maybe we just had some practices, we'd be better. And then you're like, oh no, that'd probably ruin it. Um, mm-hmm. But I totally get that. I, I, I totally, you know, get the idea of how, you know, when you, you want to have, like I would say, your success or, you know, or your failures be ranked on your personal success or your personal failures. Cause it's easier to maybe identify. It's easier to own them and it's less, um, less frustrating to, to walk away. Like if you scored three goals or you got a hat trick and your team lost by two, it's like, cause your goalie mm-hmm. let everything in. That's, it's, that's, that's a difficult thing to do, but, um, maybe, maybe you see it for, for different reasons. No, pretty much, pretty much the same sort of thing. Like you do, you, you have that frustration. And, and the thing is, Deep down, you know you shouldn't be frustrated. You know, like there's that that always that sort of dichotomy against like knowing what you should be feeling and what you're actually feeling, and feeling like you're there's that internal conflict over like I, I know this is the wrong way to feel, but why do I feel like this? And I know some of it comes from the fact that we all want to be competitive. We want to, and, and as coaches, like we we tend to be competitive. I mean, but we are relatively good at switching it off when we need to. Yeah. Um. But but it's still there. I mean, we still have that that little bit of ego and that, that drive and that, like, I want to win sort of mentality. And that's, I mean, a lot of the time we, we now live that through our athletes, but certainly it's, it never really goes away. It just changes form. And it, it's, 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 it's crazy to see some of the crossover um, in, in coaching. So I, I coach hockey as well in the wintertime. It's kind of mm-hmm. mainly because my kids are there. And, I, and I've learned a lot of how to, I say there's a lot of crossover in the style or the communication uh, of, of the kind of the, the what and the why. I know that a lot of hockey uh-huh. coaches don't do that. And I talked to our kids 
um, you know, that are, you know, in between, you know, five and 15 about like, why are we doing a drill or why are we doing this? And how does this translate? And they, when you explain the what and the why, which are traditional multi-sport things, you know, we always want to have athletes understand the what and the why of the process that they end up having a higher output. Now, the thing I have noticed is there's a ton of screaming in hockey, like mainly because you can't, like you're in a rink and it's loud and it's, you're trying to get, you know, kids to, to switch lines or whatever. But as a coach, you just like end up yelling, 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 and you have to pull it back to, to, to be able to, to get them to hear, which is unique, I would say for hockey and that may not translate over to triathlon, but I've, I remember seeing so many times like parents yelling at triathletes, especially junior races where they're just yelling from the, you know, from the sidelines at their kids. And, and I, you know, and I, and I just wonder like how effective does that become? And, you know, as a, as a coach, you can't, you know, just keep yelling at somebody the whole time. You have to, you have to vary things up because if you're, if you're, only volume is full. You've got nowhere to go. And at some point people start to tune it out or athletes start to tune you out and you have to be able to, to have a different level of volume. You have to have a, a calmer voice yeah. for things. And I was going to say you wind up sounding like a white noise machine, which eventually you just filter out and, yeah. and, then, and then nothing gets across and, and, and the right information doesn't get across either. And it's, it's interesting. You should say that from a, from a knowledge standpoint, because that was always one of the things I found was most beneficial. Like, so growing up in New Zealand, um, the New Zealand Sport um, or Spark, um, which is basically our, our funding organization, is, um, I wouldn't say it, like, by American standards, it's, it's woefully under, under, um, underfunded. But, I mean, we are particularly good at utilizing that funding really well. And so what we used to do is we'd have a lot of interplay between different coaches and different things from different sports so you could learn off, off what was going on. We'd share the same weight rooms and things like that. Um, but when you break coaching down, you start breaking down into three basic areas. You have your, your theoretical knowledge of the sport or the things like physiology, biomechanics, all the stuff you need to know as a coach in order to write programs and things like that. And then you have your race-specific knowledge, which is like you're knowing how to mount and dismount, knowing all the ins and outs of different types of racing. But then you have that pedagogical knowledge and that, that ability to teach and learn. Um, and I think that is fairly uniform across all sports. And good coaches, whether you're a swim coach or a football coach or a cycle coach, have that really high levels of pedagogical skill. Um, and I think um, that makes it possible for coaches to go between sports. And certainly that's why, like, when you switch into doing a different sport, it's very easy often to switch on that coaching hat again and think, okay, how do I do this? What do I need to know? And then you start looking at the theoretical and the, and the, the race-specific or, or sport-specific knowledge, and you can then become a coach in that area. But having that foundational pedagogical knowledge is critically important to, to the long-term success of, of any coach. Oh, I, I, I 100% agree, and, I, and I've seen coaches that I've worked with or under that don't have that. And it, it's just, it's almost frustrating, especially when you are an assistant working with somebody else. Um, and you feel like that, you know, you, if my kids are on that team and, mm -hmm. or my kids are in this group and you have the person who's leading it because you did not volunteer to lead, you volunteered to help. And it's like, so you don't want to just kind of take it over, but on the side you're going, Oh, this is, <laughs> this is terrible. You know, like stop, yeah. stop yelling and, and start teaching, let them understand. Don't, you know, don't just beat them to a pulp and, and like, help, like help them out. Those are, those are like personal, personal skills. And that's one of the things I like to tell other coaches is that, you know, people hire you for one reason, but they keep you for another, 
You know, they hire exactly. you because you're, you're, you come with a good reputation, you've interviewed well, but they keep you because they relate to you. You communicate well with them and you understand and grow with them. And those are two, two dynamically different things. And you can, you know, you have to be able to, to, to make both of those work in the same atmosphere. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of interesting. Like, so my, my wife uh, has spent a lot of time around coaches thanks to uh, the fact that I have them at the house all the time. And it's interesting because she would never consider herself a coach, but she's probably the most knowledgeable not coach I, I know. And it's interesting because I remember her um, getting upset at one of the, the volleyball um, practices one time because she was sitting on the benches and the volleyball coach gave one of the kids laps as punishment. It's like, no, you just can't do that. And it's like, and it's interesting just to see the how what we talk about and what we sort of um, implement with our own athletes and stuff flows through to those who watch and watch what we do. And therefore, that it, it changes the sport and changes how we approach sport. And I think it's so important that we, we set a good example in that regard as to what is what is required, what is important, and, and, and making sure that we, we do that moving forward so that the sports get better and not worse. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and you, you touched on something a little bit ago when you talked about how you can't really race the same sport that your athletes that you're coaching. And I think that parallels a lot with the point when you see coaches who try and race at the same time. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to coach some people going to like, let's say Ironman Wisconsin, and then I'm going to do it as well. And well, my athletes feel like they want to see me there. And I always think that is the absolute worst thing you can do because you can't be an athlete and a coach at the same time. You can't focus on your training and your performance and then this, that of a, a, you know, a, a group of other people and expect to have a high, a, you know, like a high level of achievement on both sides. You know, you can't be like a player coach at, at the same time. You have to say, are you a coach or are you an athlete? And that seems to be one of those dynamic, like tipping points that most young coaches kind of go through. They, they, they try and ride that line, but then at some point in time, they see that they need to, you know, jump out of one realm and go all into the other side. And I'm sure that's that's something you've run into as well. It is, and it's, and it's kind of interesting because what I found was, and I've presented at all levels, level one coaches and level two coaches, level three coaches. When you're standing in front, you often will, like at a level one course, you'll often ask, okay, how, how many of you guys still compete and compete with your athletes? And, and you'll get probably two-thirds, three-quarters of the hands go up and everyone's will get out there. And, and, and that's, to a certain degree, fine if, you're, if your goal is, is basically uh, as a sort of a cheerleader coach where you're there to try and motivate and excite and stuff like that, but you, your focus is not on performance. But I think as you get become more competitive and you focus on more performance and you've got athletes who are at a higher level, there is that transition. So, like, I've asked that question of, of level one coaches. And like I said, you get 75% or still be racing and still be competing with their athletes. And you get to level two and you ask the same question, you might get half will be still competing with your athletes and still out there doing it. You get to level three and you talk to level three coaches and no one is. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the ones who are still competing are competing at different sports. Like I said, they're doing stuff that's staying fit, they're staying healthy, but they're doing sports that are different from their athletes because when, they, when it really matters, they know that they need to be there for their athletes. They need to be focused. And I mean, that means something different to, to everybody and different coaches, but at the end of the day, most of them realize that you can't compete with your athletes and and be 100% committed to their results and their needs um, on that given day that matters so much to them that they've trained so hard for. So I think you do. You see, I think it's a transition for most coaches as they move through the levels and as they move through their performance um, abilities. But 
Um, it is certainly in the top end. You do see coaches who have gone to that point where it's like, okay, no, I'm athletes racing, I'm not racing. And and certainly too, I mean, and you you get the argument coming from coaches. Well, if I'm not doing it, then how do they know that I can do it? And, and then if, if I'm not really good at what I do, then how can I coach them at that level? Well, it's like at the at the level we coach, I'm never going to be able to keep up with my athletes. I mean, yeah. Most of my all, most of my pro girls destroy me on a bicycle. I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm usually no slouch on a bike. I can ride pretty well, but I get and it's funny because when I was in New Zealand, I was about twenty, would have been twenty five, twenty six at the time. Uh, yeah, and I had a, a squad of uh, four elite females and one elite male. And I remember going out on a ride one day, and I thought I was, I thought I was in pretty good shape. I thought, okay, we'll go for a ride with the girls. And we rode up this long hill, and this hill would have been probably about two, two and a half miles long. And I remember them both riding away from me as I was just absolutely exploding. <laughs> and, get them, and them both getting to the top, waiting, turning around, coming back down, and then catching me up. And I've never been so proud or so, like, embarrassed at the same time. <laughs> like, I mean, it's like, yeah, this is exactly what I want. I'm fantastic. I'm looking great. And it's like, oh, my God, I just got absolutely destroyed by the girls on my squad. But... It is. It's it's one of those things. It's like you have to look at it from this point of view that at some point your athletes are going to be way better than you are, and it's your knowledge and your skill to get them where they want to be that they're looking for, not your ability to be a racer. Yeah, and that's a frustrating thing for like I think when coaches who like or when athletes they go to coaches who are like were high end pros. And they're like, oh, he's awesome as a pro. He must be a great coach. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, that is not true. Lance Armstrong would have been a terrible coach. Wayne Gretzky, <laughs> Wayne Gretzky was a terrible coach. Michael Jordan was a terrible coach. Uh, amazing yep. athletes, but the, but it, it does not. A, a good athlete does not make a good coach. And I can, you know, I consider myself a decent coach. Um, mm-hmm. I was a fair athlete at best. Um, and I, I had the same thing when I had my junior team. I said, if I ever beat any of you, then you're off the team. That's the, that's the rules. You all have to be able to beat me and then we're good. But, um, but it is, it is frustrating when athletes have, or when coaches or younger coaches still have that mentality that they, you know, I have to be out here doing it because that's what people expect of me. And it's no, that's not at all what they expect. And it actually becomes quite destructive to your ability to monitor, learn, watch, coach, and, and develop. Well, and it's interesting too. So if you look at some, there's some very, very good coaches who have been athletes who have then become coaches who have become very good coaches. Um, but I think part of the reason why they've been able to do that is because they stopped thinking about themselves as athletes and started thinking about themselves as coaches and changed the thought process on what was required to be the top at, at what they do. So like someone like Dave Scott is a, is a fantastic coach, and but he was also a fantastic athlete. And I think... The reason he's been able to make those changes is because he also realized when he switched to being a coach that the skill set required was different. So like I said before, when we think about theoretical, um, sports-specific, and and pedagogical, um, certainly um, the sports-specific knowledge, they have in spades. I mean, you talk to a pro athlete, they have all the sports-specific knowledge they could possibly need. And the theoretical, if they're prepared to learn, they will gain over time. The the pedagogical stuff, I mean, if you if you have it, then that's great. If you don't, you can learn it to a certain degree. Um, it's a little hard to teach empathy and that side of things in the coach. But, I mean, certainly if you know what you're missing, it's the same as with being an athlete. If you know where your limiters are, you can fix those limiters and you can keep getting better and keep moving forward. 
the same thing for a coach. If you can identify what you don't know, then it helps you move forward. And it's funny, I always joke with coaches, like coaching when I was when I first started out was easy because I thought I knew everything. And, and it's like, you don't know what you don't know, so therefore you feel like you know everything, and so coaching is easy. Once you start to gain a large amount of knowledge and a large amount of information, you realize, oh my God, there's so many areas I have no idea what I'm talking about on these, these topics. And so you have to go out and learn. And the deeper you go, the more knowledge you realize, oh my, I'm going to have to know this and I'm going to have to know that and I'm going to have to expand this. Um, and you realize there, there is no way to, to, to know it all. And so then you start looking at, okay, well, who do I get in my corner that I can use as a reference or to, who do I reach out to in, in order to make sure I don't make mistakes with my athletes? And I think there is a progression as coaches um, that athletes who are pro athletes going to being coaches have to make where they have to stop thinking about the fact that when they were an athlete, it was them being the center of attention in the world revolving around them. Whereas once you become a coach, it's very much the athletes are still a center of attention, but you're the one revolving around them. And yep. it's, it's a different mindset. And it takes, it, it takes a little bit of, it takes a little bit of time to, to take a back seat to their, their goals and their ambitions and to put your own behind and, and on hold. It is. And it's not every person that can translate over or make that crossover. Um, but when you see it happen, it's, it's definitely, um, it's, it's dynamic and it, it is a, 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 I would say it's something to, that's fun to watch. Like I've had the, you know, the pleasure of, of, uh, swimming at Dave Scott master's swim class. And I know he's great. You know, he has a, he has a fun, mm-hmm. fun level of communication. Um, he is inspiring. Uh, he humiliated me in front of a bunch of people, but, uh, to a point where I thought it was pretty good. Have I told you that story sure. before? Well, no, but the interesting thing about that is a, a good coach will know which athlete they can do that with and which ones they can't. Oh, and yeah. You're one of these people. I mean, I would pick on you, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, so here's, here's – I'll set it up for you. So I was coaching under uh, my coach at the time, uh, Jared Berg, who is at the University of Boulder now. Um, and, uh, and so Jared had me out. He was living in Louisville. And I was doing a little camp out there. We, I think we went to the art and science back like long, long, long time ago. And, um, and so he was, went to Flatirons and he's like, yeah, let's go swim. And it was like noon masters outside. And I was like, okay, this would be pretty cool. And I look and I was like, down, I looked down the, down the pool and it's like, at that time there were like all the big pros were there. I remember seeing Simon Lessing and all these guys and, you know, and, and here comes Dave Scott walking out and I'm like, holy crap, this is going to be awesome. And so like, you know, I'm like way down the lane and you know how Dave teaches, it's like, okay, do a set and you come back and he tells everybody what it is. It's not like a right on the board type of workout. And so he looks at me, he goes, who are you? And I'm like, I'm Chris. And he's like, okay, nice, nice to meet you, Chris. And then we started working out and about, I think we got through the warm up. We got through the first set and everybody's at the wall listening to him. He's like, yada, yada, yada. And then he turns to me and he goes, and Chris lose the pull buoy. This ain't Rex swim. And I, I swear to God, Justin, I could have died right there. I sank in the water and I'm like, oh no. I, I kind of like gingerly put the pull buoy right up on the deck and I never used it since. And I always said that public humiliation, you know, in the right, in the right sense really works. And I have been the victim of it. It definitely sinks in and it's something you definitely remember. Oh yeah. I will never, ever forget that moment. And like, and exactly how I felt. And I felt like everybody was watching me and probably nobody heard him say it. Um, 
but it was, it, it has always been this little nugget of story that I, I like to share with people about, you know, how to, how to, how to, you know, number one, never meet your heroes because it's always a disappointment or something goes <laughs> sideways. Um, but also uh, just how you can do things that will make an impact, but you don't have to be a total jerk about it. Like that was like, he, he pinpointed it out. He called me out. First of all, how he remembered me, I have no idea, but um, but it was that, just that statement was so impactful. It stayed with me till today. Like, I still remember that story uh-huh. and I'm sure he would never remember. And I'm, and I, I would love to be able to tell him that the next time I see him. Um, but it, it, it's those, it's those things that make, that make great coaches. And that's, that's one of the things I appreciate with him. Yeah. And, and it's funny, like, I, and I've seen those things over the years where uh, you've sort of single out an athlete on a particular topic and stuff. And, and, every, and I guarantee he probably went home at some point and thought, I wonder if I did the right thing there because I mean we all do it's like yeah. you, those sorts of statements with depending on the athlete are right on the fringe of what you feel like you can get away with but and then you you, you question yourself later on it's like oh, maybe I shouldn't have or it's like and that and that's that constant self-questioning of, of how you do things and how you approach athletes is is what makes good coaches good coaches um, it's the ones who just blaze on the head without actually thinking about the effect of what they say and what they do has on their athletes that is, is always, is always the, the negative you want to try and avoid as much as possible. But, um, but no, I, I, I really like, one of the things I enjoy most about my job is spending time around other coaches. And it's kind of funny because like we're in a, in a, in a profession where unless we, we reach out to other coaches or we make an effort to be around other coaches, we don't, we, we tend to operate in isolation. I mean, I don't work with anyone. I'm, I'm here by myself most of the time working directly with athletes. And you do, you kind of miss that conversation with coaches. So I, I like the mentoring side of what I do. And I like to be able to educate coaches primarily for as much my benefit as it is for theirs. I mean, I find you learn a lot by teaching other coaches, but you also learn a lot about yourself by teaching other coaches. And I think that, for me, is, is really important. And I just like talking to other coaches and understanding what makes them tick and what they've done that's different to me and what what mistakes I've made, what things I've learned from. And it's, it's just always fascinating to, to spend time around other coaches. And that's why I've made such an effort over my career to actually make sure I'd never got devoid or or separated from from being able to do that. I agree, and, and that's probably why I, I have enjoyed and have you know maybe tried to develop more the uh, the, the educational end. You know, because you and mm-hmm. I and Brian and Chris have done a lot of the uh, say that the the vast majority of the uh, USAT educational process, and I thoroughly enjoy it. I you know I love. The interaction. I love being kind of like tested and having to like, you know, have people kind of kick some things back to you and you got to rethink it. Um, mm-hmm. But I love the interaction. I love almost more than anything, the end of the day Q&A, you know, when we all come together and then like some ra- rando questions come and it's like, you just really get to number one, I, I, I it, it reinforces the fact that you know, um, we all kind of have the same mindset, you know, none of us are like completely like on a tangent about a black helicopter, for instance, <laughs> exactly. but you know, but there is like, uh, there's a, this, this kind of very similar mindset camaraderie that I, like I always hear us have. Cause like somebody will ask us all a question and inevitably we all kind of have the same answer. And it's like the, it's like the first person answers like, yeah, exactly what he said or exactly what she said. I'm, I'm right there. And you might have a little more to add, but it's very uh, encouraging. And it's, it's one of the things that I really do, I miss that being not in person. I, I, I miss the 
the moments that come after class is done or in between segments where you get to, you know, just kind of chat with somebody one-on-one on the side, or, you know, you might go, you know, to the, to the, you know, to the cafeteria and and eat and and we all eat together. And then, you know, organic conversations come from that. But that's the part I really miss, you know, in like, I would say online education right now. Well, and and I I agree. I think that's certainly um, something that that pops up in the conversation. And and there's also, like I said, that's the reason you like spending so much time around coaches is because, um, I mean, as Einstein said, a a question that sometimes drives me to haze is, am I crazy or is it others? And um, the the interesting thing about that is, like, I, I mean, I do things and I think, my God, am I the only person that does this? And then it's not until you talk to other coaches you realize, hey, actually, everyone does this and everyone thinks this, but no one talks about it because then we sound nuts. Um, but certainly you realize that in this profession, so many of us do this, do very similar things and, and, and go through a similar thought process when we're working with athletes at different levels. And I think um, one thing that really comes in handy is when you have that ability to talk to other athletes and, and or other coaches about... Um, particular athlete type. So, I mean, I get a lot of coaches who will talk to me about working with ITU elite athletes or, um, and then I wind up talking to other athlete coaches about para-athletes and stuff. Now I've got a couple of para-athletes I work with. So it is always interesting um, that I think that, that interaction between coaches is critically important, but also something that because of the nature of business and stuff, it's something that it's sort of been difficult to, difficult to set up correctly here in the US because there's always that natural sort of feeling of, well, this person's my competition, or this person's my competition. But yep. I think there's the wrong way to look at it. Yeah, there's, there's like, well, I think rightfully so. Some people are a little, a little hesitant because they're. I think we've all been burned by somebody who's pirated something from us without, you know, without our consent or without our time. Like either it's an athlete or, or mm-hmm. whatever. And so we all get a little apprehensive there. Um, but it, you know, I, I think we once you kind of open up and you realize that we're all we're all pretty much the same it is a um it, it's an it's an affirmation i think that you feel like you go to a level one class and you or a clinic and you talk to somebody and they talk to you and then it's like there's some affirmation they're like oh yeah that's what i was thinking too so they they come off uh-huh. feeling pretty good and for you it's like oh yeah i feel really good that i was able to you know to to help somebody there or be a part of that well, and it's, and it's interesting, too, when you look at it from that perspective, and it's funny because those sorts of things used to drive me insane for a long time. And so you'd do, do all this work, you'd set up, um, write things or speak about things, and people would go away and they'd use them for their own personal gain. Um, and I initially that used to bother me a lot. Um, and I, I mean, I had an athlete or I had a coach who I, who I was mentoring at one point who basically took some ideas of mine, went away, wrote them up into a into a article, published it, and got lots of praise, et cetera, et cetera, the article. Aww. And initially it bothered me. And it's like, oh, that really sucks, et cetera. But when I look back on it now, it's like, well, honestly, I mean, if I've managed to convince them that um, this is a really good idea and this is what they should do, and they believe enough in that idea that they're prepared to go away and actually say, yes, this is a great idea, then to a certain degree, I've, I've done my job. I've made coaching better yeah um and i mean i still see like even even at level two clinics these days i'll still see coaches coming in who when they go to prepare their their um information for um their uh, presentation will still use workouts that i created or workouts that i put together um 
and I and, and I recognize them primarily because I still have my same spelling mistakes in them. Um, <laughs> but maybe I should check my spelling. Yeah. Luckily, training luckily training people actually check your spelling for you these days. But once upon a time, it didn't. So no. my spelling mistakes were pretty pretty bad. Um, but it's when you look at it from that perspective, you think, okay, they obviously believe in this workout. They think it's correct. They like the way it's put together. And I feel like that's almost some, at some level a, a flattery. Yeah, um, absolutely. This is great. Um, and so I don't have a problem with that these days. I used to once upon a time, but I've, I've, I've gone well beyond that. I also realized too, like, I mean, we, you see coaches where they will say, oh, I'm not going to share information because I've, I've got the secret recipe or the secret oh, program. And it's like you realize once you get to the top, there are no secret programs. There are no secret workouts. The basic premise behind it all is this: is the same. Yep. The big difference comes down to the coach, how they interpret the information coming back from the athlete, and then they prescribe information going forward. Absolutely. And I think that's where the difference comes in. And so you can't you can't plagiarize that. You can't recreate that. Um, just as a straight carbon copy, you have to know it and you have to understand it. You have to know how to apply it based on each athlete being different. That's and I think true. that's where the, that's where the key difference in coaching comes in. I think copying other people's stuff, I mean, it'll get you so far, but the, the highest level of, of working with world-class performance athletes where you're looking for one, two, three percent max of improvement, um, it just won't get the job done. You have to understand the foundations behind it and, and it's how you apply it, not the actual workouts themselves. Yeah, and, and, and I would like to formally give you credit for being the person who introduced me to video analysis. And mm-hmm. when I spent my time out with, you know, at the OTC with you, you were the one that basically showed me how to use Silicon Coach and, and like what to look for, how to get the right, how to get the right images. And you, you really kind of set the, set the bar for me. And I, you know, I took that and I ran with it and I tried to mm-hmm. develop it and become, you know, say, okay, I want to really be good at this. And I, I tr- I've been trying to, you know, increase its application, you know, across multiple sports, um, help other people understand how it can be, you know, how it, it's changed, but that you were the genesis of that you, you know, and I, and I want to formally let people know, and I, and I've, and I've given that recognition out to other people and you probably never heard it, but, um, but that is where it came from. My, my kind of like, I would say not fascination, but my infatuation with video analysis and the capability of it that you were the one who started that in me. Well, I, I appreciate that, Chris. And, it, it's, and it's funny, from looking from my perspective, I would love it if all coaches used video analysis and, and not just used it, but used it well. And that's, that's yeah. my biggest concern. It's like, I'm never, I'm never worried about trying to stop people from learning stuff from me. Like, I, 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 if I'm doing something that's cutting edge or new or visionary, um, I, I like to then teach others to do it. Like, I, if I can, if I think, oh, this is, this is something new, this is exciting, this is like cutting edge, let's do this. And as soon as I figure out how to apply it to the to the knowledge base that I've already got, I'm gladly going to teach it to other people, and I hope they use it. Yeah. And when they do use it, I hope they use it well. Um, because it, at the end of the day, we're out there trying to help athletes, and we're trying to help them perform at their highest level. And I've always said to athletes, like, I never want them to get to a point where they get to the end of their career and look back and say, I, I just... I wonder what could have been if I just had better support. I want to make sure that they get what they need in order to look back and think, wow, I did everything I possibly could, and this is where I ended up. Yeah. Um, and I think if we do that, we've succeeded. Now, I can't do that for all athletes, but if I help coaches, I can do it for way more athletes than I can do just by myself. That's true. It's, it's, it's improving the craft. And I like mm-hmm. to use I like exactly. to use that term craft because it does it's not done ha- by happenstance. There is a purpose to it. There's a design. There is a um, there is science 
there is uh, there's psychology, there's so much to it, and it is so does a craft. And I think that that is the the one thing that we have we've kind of moved into is we are helping to help people keep the craft alive at a level that we want to see it at. And I think that's one of the fun things about being an educator is that you have the opportunity to say, these are the important things that I see in our, in our sport, in our craft and how we interact with people. And I want to make sure you guys have the skills to be able to do that because I'm not always going to be here and I don't want to be the only one doing this. I want everybody to do this because that makes it all better. Agreed. And I, and I think that's too, like, I mean, when people think about coaches within triathlon, I want them to, to instantly have a positive feeling of, oh, triathlon coaches, they really know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, I don't want them to think, oh, it's, it's, it's the wild west of, of coaching. That's, that's not where we want to be. We want to make sure that we're, we're developing the sport and pushing the sport forward in a positive way that keeps people feeling inspired to, to go out and get a triathlon coach or just go out and get a, a coach to help them get to achieve their goals and that that coach is going to be as well-trained as we can possibly make them. Um, and I think for, there's a certain level of uh, satisfaction as a, as a coach educator that comes from knowing you made a difference. Yeah, I totally agree. Hey, Justin, on that note, um, I know you probably got other things to do. You've got your family and uh, I know my family's back here trying to get me to go out and you know do something outside today. But uh, I want to I want to say thank you for spending the time, uh, just chatting with me and um, and catching up. And I can't wait to see you face to face again, um, and and you know maybe do a gravel ride or two. Sounds fantastic. I look forward to it. And I appreciate um, you talking to me, Chris. I mean, we we talk a lot anyway, which is always great. But uh, I always learn something, and I always appreciate the time. So uh, thanks for everything. Oh, it's my pleasure, Justin. So um, hey, you know everybody, um, we like to thank Justin for being here. If you want to have. Uh, learn more about Justin just uh, you can look him up on Pikes Peak Athletics you can and uh, has a uh, great great bio there uh, he can he's always willing to answer questions and uh, he is very, very open and uh, extremely knowledgeable coach and everything so um, on behalf of the, the uh, final K and the be better podcast I'm coach Chris and I would just like to encourage you to be a little better and have a great day mm-hmm.